Well, we all have a relationship with money. If you were asked to describe your relationship with money, how would you describe it? I've got a few options for you to choose from. Remember, we're talking in relationship terms. So if you're asked to describe your money with your relationship with money, would you describe it as living the dream? Like things are typically or always just great. We, we have a plan. It's working. There isn't tension at home when it comes to the area of money or finances. If, if you're married, you're, you're living the dream. Or would your relationship with money be better described as maybe some of your dating relationships long ago? You know, it's, it's complicated. There's good, there's bad, there's seasons where everything's going great, and then there's seasons of frustration. Or, or might you describe your relationship as it's, it's on the rocks, like, Money and your marriage or money and your personal life, it tends to be a constant source of frustration. And if you take time to just kind of think about it, that you're recognizing that there definitely are some things that are unhealthy. Well, when Americans are polled about their relationship with money, very few people describe it in terms of living the dream. The vast majority of Americans fall under one of those two bottom categories. Either it's complicated or on the rocks. And I'd like to, to give you a little bit of data to show the, the general environment of Americans with their money by, by sharing some statistics with you about Americans. Um, the first is this, that 90% of Americans who expressed that they are experiencing stress reported that finances is a part of that. I see some heads nodding. Uh, here's another one. 56% of credit card accounts carry a balance from one month to the next. So that means these are accounts where that, that amount is not being paid off from one month to the rest, and that, that debt carries over to the next. In fact, uh, this past year, the average amount of credit card debt uh, per uh, American, or those that had debt at least, was about $8,000. Here's another one. 57% of Americans don't have enough savings to cover a $1,000 emergency. So what that means is that 50% of Americans are one major car repair away from trouble or from debt. And finally, 32% of working age American adults have zero dollars saved for retirement. Now, as you look at these statistics, and maybe as you think about, okay, yeah, I actually fall into one or two or three of those categories, 
One thing that I'd like to say and, and to acknowledge is that there's a lot of different reasons and a lot of different factors and a lot of different backgrounds for which maybe we fall into one of these categories. And there are some things that are out of our control. And quite frankly, this is not the easiest time for finances in our country's history. Let's put it that way. But while all those things might be true, and I don't know your story and your relationship with money, what I also know is that for pretty much everyone in the room or online, there have been some decisions that we have made that have also contributed to the situation that we're in. If we do a little bit of self-analysis, we would recognize that there are some things that we could do differently when it comes to managing what we have and different choices we could make. And do we have a plan? And what does that look like? I want you to hold on to that for a moment. We are in the second week of this series that we're calling Money Matters. And last week, if you weren't able to be with us, I'd really encourage you to catch up um, online and, and to listen to that message because it was very foundational to the next two weeks. What we looked at last week is that when it comes to churches talking about money, the reason is, is because God had a lot to say about money. And the reason God had a lot to say about money is not just because he wants you to give. It's because he recognizes, and Jesus did too, that when it comes to things that will compete for first place in our hearts, Money and material blessings are one of the things that we need to struggle with the most when it comes to making sure that it's not our ultimate pursuit in life. And so what we said about you know, this series and about so many verses in the Bible talking about money is this, that God's heart is this. He doesn't want your stuff. That's not his ultimate goal. He doesn't want your stuff to have you. And we saw that Jesus, ultimately, is the only master worthy of our devotion. So last week, we talked about how when it comes to money matters, the heart matters. And that's where we need to start. This week, we're going to really dig into something else. Um, that when it comes to money, the goal matters. So I have a, a question for you to consider here. What goal do you have for what you have? What goal do you have for your money? And actually what I'm, I'm asking you to do, it's a little bit challenging. It's going to take some thinking. In fact, I actually encourage you to write it down on your sermon notes if, if you come up with an answer, is if you had to boil all the things you're thinking about money down to just one statement what would that statement be? For some of us, maybe that statement would look something like this, or at least have this idea behind it, that the goal for what I have is to provide for my family and to give my family and myself the things that I need. It's a great goal. It's 
It's a good one. Uh, For others of us, maybe it's to enjoy life. Uh, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in the New Testament, he said that God richly provides everything for, and he said, our enjoyment. It's an amazing thing about God. He gives us eternity to look forward to, and in the meantime, he says, I like it when you enjoy the life that you have. Uh, Maybe others of us would say uh, the, the goal is to save for the future, and that too is a very wise thing. But what I'll also say is when it comes to just one statement to cover the main objective or the main goal that the Bible would have for the things that we have, um, if you could go back, none of these items are enough. All of them just by themselves limp a little bit. So I'm... I'm actually pretty excited to dig into the answer to this because I think for many of us, we've managed money. We've had a relationship with money since that first time that our our mom or our dad gave us allowance, but we've never had a chance to think about, well, what is the goal that I have with what I've been given? And I I believe it has the, the power to change our mindset and in some ways to to change our relationship with what we have. So our first fill-in is this, that the right goal is essential for managing, managing money in the right way. To manage money in the right way, we need to think about what is the goal that God has laid out for what we have. And to find the answer to this question, we're going to spend some time connecting with the life of a king in the Old Testament named David. King David lived about 1000 BC. Um, He was the king of Israel at the time of which it was at its height. It It was a wealthy country. David had a lot of power. He was a, he was a wealthy, prominent king. And one day, and you can read all about this in 1 Chronicles, that's the the book of the Bible that we're going to be in today. One day, he's looking around his nation. He's looking at the house, the palace that he lives in, and he's disturbed by something. Here's what we hear him saying in 1 Chronicles 17. David says, here I am living in an immaculate palace, a palace of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. So what's the ark of the covenant? Um, The ark of the covenant was a large box that was overlaid with uh, solid gold. And in that box was a jar of manna, uh, the 10 commandments that God gave to Moses, and then the staff of Moses. But way more important than what the Ark of the Covenant contained is what the Ark of the Covenant represented. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God with his people. And so what David is recognizing and realizing is I live in this this immaculate, amazing palace as king of Israel, and yet 
God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's kind of, because the ark represents his presence, he's kind of living in a tent. I need to do something about that. We need to build God a temple. And God knew what was on David's heart. And God responded to David and let him know that this is a great idea. And that God supported this temple being built. At the same time, uh, some of you maybe know this, but God told David, but you're not going to be the one to build it. And one thing that I really appreciated as I I read through this, because David had these plans for what he was going to do, what I really appreciated is how, well, I'll put it this way, David humbly decided to serve God and to follow his will. You know, have you ever had plans for your life that didn't come to fruition exactly the way you wanted, and they were good plans? They were noble plans? But in one way or another, probably not through a voice of God, but just kind of how life went, they didn't end up going the way you wanted them to. I think we've all been there. I love the posture of David's heart. He might have been disappointed, but even in the reality of his life, the way that it went, the way God wanted him to live, the the things that God had out for his life, he just decided to humbly serve in whatever capacity God wanted and to follow God's will. And, And David did this really well. Again, if you keep reading in First Chronicles, you'll find that David, uh, he got everything ready for his son Solomon to be the one to build the temple. He got the blueprints ready, the design ready. He, he also led, we'll say it in churchy terms, the capital campaign. David made sure to gather all the, the offerings and, and the gold and the silver that was needed to build this temple. I don't know for sure But I have to imagine that this was the largest response to a building project that there ever has been. Thousands and thousands of pounds of gold, silver, iron, and precious jewels were brought. In fact, some biblical scholars estimate that the value of these thousands of pounds that were donated and given for this temple in today's terms, would be valued at somewhere between 6 and $12 billion. People responded. They, too, wanted to build this temple, this place for God in earthly terms to dwell. And after all the offerings have been gathered, David says a prayer. And it's the words of that prayer that I want to read with you and then to talk about. This is in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning with verse 10. All the offerings have been gathered. David then praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor. My wealth and honor, maybe David is thinking. They come from you. I'm a ruler, but you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Verse 14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. I want you to think about David's mind and heart as this six to $12 billion offering is given, where does his praise go? I'm sure he was happy with the people, but where is his praise? Let's go back to verse 11. It says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Not to his people, not to himself, but to the Lord, is all of this praise. Why? In this moment, he says, because everything in heaven and on earth is yours. We have not given you anything that wasn't already yours. And this brings us to a very, very important thing to remember Something we talk about here, something though that we need remembering about. It's a, it's a good time a few days before Thanksgiving to think about this. The truth is, number two, that everything belongs to God and everything comes from God. Your clothes, your home, your car, your kids. From God. And I know, just like, I know you think, just like I do sometimes, about those moments, those, those hours of overtime, the hard work that you put in so that you were able to get to the position that you're in. And I'm not saying that we have nothing to do with it. But how the Bible would speak and what is true is that God's also given you your health to be able to do that, your skills, your talents. One that I've come to appreciate more and more as I've gotten older, I don't think I had a concept of this uh, as a younger person, is that God gives people opportunities. Um, I know people now being in middle age that in some ways, and in many ways maybe, have more talents and more gifts than I do, and yet for whatever reason, their life has gone in a slightly different path. Um, I think about how I didn't get to choose to be born into this country, and people who probably have more talents than I do don't have the same opportunities being born somewhere else. God causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine. It's all his. Everything comes from him and everything belongs to him. 
So what does that mean for us? What is our role? Well, when it comes to the things that we have, say it this way, we're caretakers of what belongs to God. In fact, when it comes to having a humble posture around the things that we've been given or the life that we get to experience, I want you again to think about David for a moment. Remember, he's, he's the wealthiest, the most powerful man, person on the planet at the time. And when he prays to God after this 6 to $12 billion offering comes in, did you catch these words that he said? Who am I? Rhetorical question to basically say, I'm, I'm nothing compared to you. The wealthiest, most powerful person on the planet. Who am I? And maybe in that moment, maybe David is thinking back to his earlier years when, as many of you know, he chose to commit adultery with another man's wife and then set up the husband of that wife to be killed in battle. For sure, what he's thinking about, not only for himself, who am I, but also my people, for sure, what he's thinking about are, are the daily sins that he and the people of his country commit. The recognition that compared to God, we're nothing. And so in this moment, there's this big offering given. You know what David is blown away by? He's blown away not by the generosity of the people, although I'm blown away by it. He's rightly so blown away by the generosity of God. David marvels at God's undeserved love. And I would say that an understanding of who God is And who we are, an understanding of undeserved grace, always begins with a question. Who am I? Who am I to be able to enjoy this day? Who am I to be able to have people in my life who love me? Who am I to enjoy the things that I've been able to enjoy in my life? Has it always been perfect? Has it always been great? There's difficulties, but who am I to receive good things? You know what? Even if, even if right now today, because of things going on in your life, you have a hard time thinking about things that you are thankful for when it comes to your physical, to your earthly life. And I get that. I've been in those moments too. Even if, who am I to be blessed with the benefit of the sinless Son of God to die in my place so that I might enjoy riches that last forever, that I might have a difficult go of it in this life, but I have hope and joy and peace to look forward to. And so God, give me strength to get through whatever is ahead and help me to keep my eyes focused on what I also get to enjoy for eternity. When it comes to the generosity of God, 
I think we need to keep in mind passages like this where Paul writes, for you know the grace, the undeserved love of Jesus, that though he was rich, for our sakes, for your sakes, he became poor. Jesus, the Son of God, came and took on human flesh and lived in the same sinful world that we live in. That's what it means that he decided to become poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We marvel at the generosity of a $10 billion offering to the building of a temple. But our hearts are in the right place when more than that, we marvel at the generosity of a Savior, God's Son, who did this. Jesus gave up his life on a cross. And you know, that cross was just a walking distance away from this temple that Israel built. But you know, when Jesus died, the temple no longer existed. It had been destroyed already, which is a reminder for us of what is true, we talked about it last week too, what is true about the earthly things that we rejoice in so much. Even Chevy Trailblazers have to be turned in and traded in. (laughs) They don't last. But what Jesus came to give us does. And so, who am I? Who am I, Lord? to receive all of these blessings. Now, you might be thinking right now, weren't we going to talk about what the primary objective with our our goal of what we have is? Weren't we going to answer this question? What's our primary objective and goal for our money? Are we any closer to answering that? I think we are. Who gives us everything that we have? the Lord. Who alone is worthy of glory and honor and praise and splendor? So what is our primary goal and objective with the things that we've been given? Number three, our goal is simply to give glory and honor to God. If someone were to ask you, What is one sentence objective or goal for your finances? I cannot think of a better statement than my goal is to give glory and honor to God. Not with a percentage. Not with a weekly offering. With all of it. What do I mean? Well, let me illustrate it this way. When our kids were little, every so often, maybe every two, three, four years, Carrie and I would have an opportunity to, uh, to get away just for a weekend or for five days. And typically, uh, some friends, or in many cases, my wife's parents would come and watch the kids for those days. And we have four kids. What would you think 
if when we came back from vacation, we had entrusted our kids to Harold and Terry, what, if, what would you think if when we got back, only one of them was fed? Or they chose just one of them to bathe? Or they took care of just one of the four? And when we got back, we asked, hey, Harold, why did you only take care of one of them? And he answered, well, we thought we'd think about it in a percentage. And we thought 25% of the kids is a good amount to take care of. And so we're just going with that. First of all, Harold would never say that. This would never happen. But if he did, it'd be the absolute weirdest thing that a grandparent or anyone would say. Because when you're entrusted with four kids, you take care of all of them. If all of what we have comes from God, 100% of it, all of it, rightly should be managed to his glory. So what do you mean, Ben? Do you mean that I'm supposed to give all of it to church and then live in poverty? No. That's not what I'm saying. Because God gives us more direction than that, doesn't he? He tells us that with what he's given to us, that we should be generous. He also tells us that we're supposed to provide for our families. He also says that he supplies you with things for your enjoyment and you can enjoy life. Jesus once taught and was very clear, you're supposed to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We're supposed to pay our taxes. We're supposed to help those who are in need. We are to save and to be wise about the future. God's plan is big. But what it's not is, I'm going to give my offering and then the rest is mine. None of it's mine. It's all his. And what the Apostle Paul wrote was this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do or whatever you have or whatever you are able to receive, do it all to the glory of of God. So, what does it mean for me to manage my money to the glory of God? Here's the thing. I don't know what it means for you right now. I do know that there are these categories that maybe can be best summarized, like we are to give, we are to save, and then we are to live. But where we are in that, I think every family and every person here needs to really think about. For, for some of us, when, when we take a look, hopefully this week, at what God has given to us, we're going to realize or see that we're not very generous that we're really good at saving, but when it comes to generosity, it's something as part of God's plan that I need to grow in. For others of us, we're really good at generosity, but we just kind of fly by the seat of our pants, and so we don't even know how much we have to give away because we haven't done a good job of tracking what God has given. You know what statistics tell us? Statistics, and I don't know about you, but statistics tell us that the area where Americans struggle the most is that they spend too much. 
And some of that is, uh, the problem with that is because sometimes we spend more than what we have, and debt is not a good thing. But for others of us, and this might be a little bit hard to hear, but it's true, that sometimes it's not a matter of whether we have enough, like we're not going into debt, but we're spending too much, and it's, it, if we're to be honest, it's a sign in our heart, we're, we're, we're finding too much joy and satisfaction out of the things of this world, and we're not balanced. It's become about what I can get and what other new shiny toy do I need, and we're not balanced in, in our hearts. And we can afford it, but it's not giving glory to God because we're spending too much. There's a lot for us to think about. And I don't know, like I said, what exactly you need to do as we consider how to manage what God has given to his glory and honor. But I think probably practically speaking, here's what I do know. It's important to have a plan. We need to know how we are managing the four kids that Ben and Carrie entrusted to you to take care of. We need to know how to manage or how we're managing what God has given. How are we doing with our giving? How are we doing with our saving? How are we doing with our living? And one thing that was really on my heart as I considered this this week is that for some of us, we've never had someone teach us what a good plan looks like. And this is very practical, but uh, in January, we're going to be hosting um, a Financial Peace University gathering on Monday nights. And if that's something that can be a blessing to you or to your marriage or family, we'd love for you to join. You can sign up by going to um, the events tab of our website. Let us know that you're interested. might be a blessing to you. But I think it starts with this prayer. God, show me how to give you honor and glory with all that I have. And see how God answers that prayer. See, our goal is to give glory and honor in all ways to the one who deserves our glory and our honor. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for David's prayer that you've protected and preserved to this day. It's a good reminder for us of who deserves all glory and honor. And I pray that not just in our finances, but in every way, whether what, whatever we do, whether eating or drinking or whatever we do, we do it all to your glory, Lord. And pray that you would um, guide us as we consider, as we think, and as we pray about how to give you the praise. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.